True Crime friends, welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. I hope you are all having a wonderful start to your weekend. I always want to say start to your week, but obviously we're here on Fridays now. Um, Just a little bit of a schedule change that I wanted to go over with you all. So... True Crime and Academia will be three weeks on, one week off for the Patreon bonus episode. With my new job and everything, it is just so hard <laughs> to do two episodes in one week. Like, it is almost impossible. So, in order to keep giving you bonus content, there will not be an actual episode for the week. So, just wanted to let you all know of that. This week, I have an interview for you guys. My guest today is the host of one of like the coolest, I think, niche podcasts. I don't see many niche podcasts like this that specifically focus on missing persons cases. And I just think that's super important, obviously, because we do need to be aware. And as much as like she says in her own show for everyone to stay alert and watch out. With me is the host of Creme de la Crime podcast, Sam Randall. Thank you so much for being here with me, Sam. Hey, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's an honor. I love your show. So I was really excited when you reached out. Thank you so much. And I love your show, too. So I was really glad you said yes. So. <laughs> Thank it goes you both so- ways. <laughs> yes. So just what's a little bit that you can tell us, like, who is Sam Randall? Because obviously everyone knows us from us talking about true crime, but obviously there's more of a person than that. Right. Um, Well, I'm actually a little introverted. I'm uh, 31 right now, and I've lived in a few different states. So I'm actually from the state of Virginia, but right now I'm in South Carolina. Um. I love to read. I'm very active outdoors, uh, very active in the gym. And I guess, honestly, I have a Siberian Husky named Noah and he's basically my life. So I'm a big pet person. I do foster for the Humane Society from time to time. So that pretty much sums it up. That's awesome. I mean, you sound like pretty much like the all well-rounded American girl, right? Hey, we we try, we try. (laughs) So how did you specifically get interested in true crime? That's funny. Um, Originally, my love began pretty young, as most people say, you know, Um, in middle school, particularly, I remember my parents worked late, so I would be home for a few hours alone after school. And I always remember going home and cutting on Unsolved Mysteries and being completely freaked out by the music and everything, locking the door to my bedroom. But I love that show. Um, I've always been into unsolved crimes in general. And so it really kind of started there. And then as I got older, 
you know, obviously I continue to expand things I watch. You, you know, we had Law and Order SVU, the first 48, all the classics. And then after I graduated high school, I had a friend in high school that actually disappeared. And oh it's probably a case that you've heard of. I've heard other people discuss it. Her name was Morgan Harrington. Okay. Um, she grad. Yeah. So she graduated the year before me and we were kind of in the same friend circle. So I knew her pretty well. And I just remember her going missing and it almost feeling like it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like, how could this happen to someone I know? Mm-hmm. And it took about three months until they found her body. Mm-hmm. And that really, she is kind of what sparked my obsession with unsolved disappearances because it really can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Really? I mean, and you see, I mean, how many true crime shows it goes to a small town or just anywhere, you know, in USA or even, you know, all over the world. I mean, let's be honest. And people, the first thing they always say is I can't imagine something like this would happen here. And, you know, sadly, you know, if you're into true crime as much as we are, you know, we know that uh, sad, it, it, it doesn't matter where you are. It can, it literally happen anywhere and to anyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's really crazy to me because you hear about hotspots, I guess, for mm-hmm. crime. And I think that that's really misleading because people think, oh, well, you know, like you said, everyone always says that that just doesn't happen here. It just doesn't happen here until it does, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, I think awareness is our, our biggest gift in prevention. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, obviously as, as women, we, you know, we've been taught to be hyper aware (laughs) of our surroundings because of the types of crime that sadly happened to a lot of women. But, you know, obviously this isn't just a gender related type of crime, you know, anyone at any time can go missing. Sadly, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You know? Yeah. You know, I get that a lot, um, especially from like friends and my family members with people just saying, you know, you know, grown men, how do you abduct a grown man? Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't believe the amount of cases that I look at where you're talking about a healthy, fit, six foot plus grown man that vanishes off the face of the earth. But what I always tell my dad, my brother, it doesn't matter your size, your race, your gender. If someone has a gun to your head, all of that goes out the window and no longer matters. Mm-hmm. So this, is, you know, it can truly happen to anyone. And I think men are a lot less aware. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, women are trained. You know, we train ourselves, our children to be aware of these things. And no one really talks about how often this is happening to men in general. So, yeah, exactly. I remember one case I covered, it said that they ruled out a kidnapping for this person, this gentleman, um, Ronald Tamman Jr. This was back in the fifties and the cops were just like, yeah, no, he couldn't have been kidnapped. He was six foot one and two, uh, like over 200 pounds. Like right. there's no way. 
And it's like, well, if you surprise someone and you have a weapon, anyone can be taken at that point. You don't have to be meek or weak or anything like that for someone to come up and surprise you and easily overpower you. Absolutely. And I think people get this idea that abductions are stranger danger, someone grabbing you and throwing you in in your car. And a lot of times that's not the case. You know, it's people, you know, it's when you're out of your routine routine, like you said, if you have a weapon, all those things go out the window. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, what made you decide, I know we kind of, I mean, I mean, we briefly touched on how you got into missing persons cases, but what made you make the decision to be like, I need to make a podcast about this? So I actually, I actually had a podcast before this podcast, but it was with my best friend. It was not true crime related. It was relationship and mental health based. And last summer, I actually became obsessed with the podcast, The Vanished, hosted by Marissa, a very well-known podcast. She's phenomenal. Um, And The Vanished is strictly dedicated to unsolved disappearances like I do. And she does a lot of direct interviews with family, law enforcement. It's fascinating. Um, I remember getting really obsessed with her show, but we were doing our podcast and I was just like, there's no way I can do two podcasts. People really don't know what goes into this. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) Gabby Petito went missing. I feel like everyone talks about this case in the true crime world. But I remember Gabby going missing. And we had a week that we just couldn't make our schedules work and we couldn't record. And we didn't want to skip a week. So I remember texting my best friend and being like, you know, everyone's talking about this case and it's crazy. You know, I had been reading all this stuff about it and I was like, I'm convinced her boyfriend did something to her. Um, so since we don't have an episode, if I sit down and record something and am okay with it, are you cool with that being the episode for the week? She's like, yeah, go ahead. If you like it, post it. So I did that episode by myself and I remember uploading it and just being overwhelmed by the response that it got the streams the downloads it blew up in I mean five times the amount our our other episodes were getting and I was like people really want to hear about this you know want to listen to these stories and that was really the first like idea where Mm -hmm. I was like you know I could I could kind of do something with this and I was kind of worried on stepping on my best friend's toes a little and not wanting to kind of betray that trust for our podcast. But when I reached out to her about it, she said, Hey, you know, true crime's not really my thing, but if you want to do it, go for it. And I just started, you know, notes in the iPhone, our best friend, Mm -hmm. I just started making note threads, any ideas I got checklists, anything. And it took about 10 months and I finally launched it on Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. That's so awesome. Yeah, because I know for a fact, so for those of you who want to listen, go to Creme de la Crime podcast. You can find it pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And there are about 15 episodes up. So, you know, if you're looking to binge for something and then catch up and then, you know, keep going, this is a perfect time to do so. So for those people who may not 
who may kind of know more about the murder stuff, but not necessarily the missing persons cases from your research and everything that you've looked into and have learned from this process of creating this podcast, what would you say are the most common circumstances in which people go missing? So like we had said, you know, disappearances happen to anyone at any time, anywhere. But with the cases that I've mostly looked into, I find three very common factors that are involved. The first being domestic violence. Um, a lot of times, I can't, I can't even tell you the amount of missing wives I've covered that have, you know, were known to have abusive husbands, their husbands had threatened them. You know, what's a restraining order to an abusive person? Nothing. And it's a lot of times it's domestic violence that people are not getting help for. It's going unnoticed and it, it just keeps escalating to the point where whether it's an accident, whether it's planned or whatever, these people, their spouses are killing them and getting rid of them. And it's, it's not just men killing women either. You know, it goes both ways, but a lot of times it's situations that are escalating and not being addressed. People are not getting the help that they need. And a lot of times, you know, all the cases I cover, the bodies aren't found but there's significant evidence as in blood or cadaver dogs hitting in vehicles where they know that the person was killed. You know, there's significant evidence and there's even been cases where the husbands are charged without the body because there's so much evidence. So that's definitely the number one is domestic violence. It's typically someone the person knows. Mm -hmm. And the second I'd say is when people go out of their element or their routine, Um, whether it's on purpose or an accident. You know, people that break down on the side of the road or um, go somewhere they haven't been before by themselves, you're instantly raising your risk significantly in those factors to come across someone who's gonna harm you in some way. And then I'd say the third is definitely gonna be drug or criminal involvement. Um, I see, you know, I've done a couple cases where I'm really not convinced the person met foul play or is even deceased because the depth of their drug use was so deep. And we know, especially for men, a lot of mental illnesses come out in your late teens and your early 20s and can sometimes be triggered by heavy drug use. And there have been some disappearances that I've covered that just make no sense. And it's like the person just left and no one ever saw them again. Or, um, you know, criminal activity in general raises your risk because of the people you're associating with. So I'd say out of all the situations that those are the three most common across the board, but there's always exceptions, of course. Of course, yeah. I mean, just like with people, there's always like a set, like, I guess, rule if you will. And then there's always like the outliers that fall out, that fall in that exception territory. Absolutely. But back to, I mean, I just want to touch on the drug thing a little bit. The other thing is that I think about is, you know, depending on how heavy of the drugs you're using and such, the people that you're getting from aren't going to be the kindest people. 
So if you fall into a debt with people, then, I mean, I feel like there's a trafficking, possible trafficking issues with that as well, which is insane. But yeah, I've actually never considered really the (laughs) drug aspect of it before when I've looked at cases. I've kind of just, not that I didn't take it seriously, but I was kind of just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, trying not to judge the person too hard. But, right. you know, you're right, because obviously, you know, if they're really hard and really into these addictions, then either they're just going to go somewhere and figure out how to get it, no matter which way they can, you know, or they met with someone who's not too nice and wants their money and is going to do whatever to get it, sadly. Exactly. And I think it's important to remember that there are celebrities that have had their drugs laced and they have died. So mm-hmm. if we're talking about some of the most wealthy and well-known people cannot 100% get safe drugs, we can't really be sure that anyone else is either, you know? Exactly. So Exactly. Just so sad. In your opinion, why do you think so many missing persons cases go unsolved? The <sighs> deep question. Um, I know. <laughs> I'd have to say, I think the main things are lack of awareness, um, lack of knowledge, lack of resources. So one of the biggest things that happen is the common public doesn't really know what steps are required when someone is reported missing. So, you know, you've got people you're in a panic mode because your loved one's missing already. So rational thought goes out the window a lot of times. So your first thought is, we'll call the police. You know, all people know is they call the police. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, just because you call the police, that doesn't mean a massive manhunt is is pursued, you know, Mm -hmm. immediately. There are steps police have to go through and the lack of public knowledge really hurts people because- I always encourage people have a my missing file, whether you store it in your phone, on your computer, or you have a paper file dedicated to yourself, your children, and your loved ones. I encourage everyone to do this. Um, Ashley Flowers with Crime Junkie, Mm -hmm. she actually really started promoting this and she has a my missing file PDF that you can request from Crime Junkie and they will email it to you for free. It's a blank template Mm -hmm. and it's like over 50 pages. And having this, you can also email me. I have it as well and can send it to anybody. But um, this has everything about you. So this ultimately saves the police hours. And we know, I mean, the first 24 to 48 hours are everything. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, statistics show usually it takes about two to four hours for the police to get what they need from family because people are panicking and don't know what's needed. And you're you're scrambling to try to gather all these things to give to the police. And if we were more prepared and, you know, I call the police for my loved one and I said, here's their file. Here's everything that you need to know about this person. Pictures, blah, blah, blah. Instantly, they can start looking for them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, too much time goes by. Too much time is wasted. And myth buster fact for everyone, it is not a federal law that you have to wait 24 hours. And it's not a federal law that the police have to wait 24 hours to accept a missing person's report. 
And that whole concept baffles me because it's the most important part of the investigation. Mm -hmm. And I think if the public knew more, that would be helpful. And I also learned from a family member of a victim that I spoke to, he, uh, her father is an attorney and he stated that it's not common knowledge that a police precinct, when you go to report a family member missing, precincts, excuse me, police precincts do not have a missing persons unit. So when you go in, hey, I need to report my loved one missing, there's not a directed team that works on this, which is a problem because you have that for sex sex crimes, child crimes, anything like that. So when you're going in, you're, you're being sent to a detective. This could be this detective's first missing person case ever. They might not really know what to do. We all know the police academy is only six months of training, right? Mm-hmm. So another huge issue is just a lack of resources, a lack of knowledge and a team being put forth that are directed to these cases and not working on all cases. And it's so hard because we know no one wants to be a police officer anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the police are shorthanded. There's just so many factors to consider, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I've seen in some cases where the officers or maybe not even the officers, but the people at dispatch on the phone, you know, who answer the 911 calls will tell the families you can't report them yet. So I think it is important, like you said, to make sure that like everyone knows it's not federally mandated. So if you if sadly, hopefully, I hope this does not happen to any of you out there. But if that does know that you are not held to that. Yeah. So just keep calling and you can tell them like, look, I don't have to wait. I want to report this. And there are also other resources besides the police. There's so much families can do without the police. Um, Because I mean, unfortunately, like you said, we see cases, even when the police are brought in, they don't believe the people are missing. They're not going to look for them. And it's just really sad all around for the person and the family but there's other resources. Resources I know Crime Stoppers is amazing. They immediately put up a reward for any person that they can, you know, identify as missing or whatever the case may be. Um, there's so many surviving families that have created organizations that immediately team up with the parents and help with missing children. So I definitely I do provide some of those resources on my Instagram at Primdale Crime Pod. And those are important to know because sometimes, unfortunately, the police don't have enough hands, but there are other groups that are dedicated to this specifically, and they can be very helpful. Absolutely. And I mean, again, I feel like we kind of got into my next question, (laughs) which was basically, what do you think needs to change in order for there to be a better outcome for these missing persons cases? I definitely, the first response team would be incredibly helpful to have a team that, you know, the FBI has those, you know, Mm -hmm. these task force forces that are strictly dedicated when a child goes missing, they're on the ground. And these people spend months specifically training to look for these children. And I realize that's, that's a lot of funding 
That's a lot of training. It's a lot to create that for every department across America, especially with the police shortage already. But it would be helpful to have people that are actually trained to specifically respond to these disappearances. Um, and yeah, I honestly think that is that would just be one of the most helpful things with law enforcement and just more training for law enforcement in general. You know, I always joke with people, it's crazy to me, you have to study law for eight years to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, to, def- to uphold or defend the law. And then you only have to train for six months to uphold it and carry a gun. How, how, how much can you learn in six months? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's so many training issues, a lack of resource issues, and a lot of those small changes would help. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. And like you said, thank God for those other organizations that are focused on helping families find their missing loved ones, because, you know, aside from not that I'm grading anything here, but, you know, aside from, you know, knowing that a family member was murdered, I feel like the next worst thing or even more worse than that is them missing and not knowing where they went, not knowing what happened to them, if they're even alive. Right. You know, it's just, it's unfathomable. And I feel like that's why some people in the true crime world, because it's unsolved and because there's not like, you know, the case isn't wrapped up in a bow. I feel like sometimes people dismiss those cases, but I think like you, it's very important to just be aware to just let people know that these people exist and that there are people looking for them. You know, sometimes the likelihood is probably not good that they'll still be alive, but if you're not looking or, you know, aware, how are you going to know for sure? Stranger things have happened. I mean, we see people come home after decades, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think it's hard for the for common people that have never known someone that has disappeared, it's hard for the human brain to fathom that this can actually happen to people. It's hard to fathom and accept that someone can wipe someone else off the face of the planet and no one ever knows where they are. Um, or even if it's not foul play, that some, someone can stumble upon a circumstance where they're never found. And it's so scary mm-hmm. And one of the most common things the family members tell me is that they would feel better, even if, even if it was finding out the person wasn't alive, that it would be better than always wondering if they're alive or not. Mm-hmm. So a lot of families do say that, you know, they say they, they would rather know. Yeah. And I can imagine it's just that it's that closure, like you said, you know, to just know what happened and then you can kind of move on from that point because I feel like people who have gone through that must be in this absolute horrible limbo of, do I grieve for the loss of this person? Are they dead? Or like, do I still remain hopeful that they're alive? And I can't imagine living in that kind of a hell for decades and decades. And a lot of them just struggle with the guilt of even wanting to grieve, you know, how do you allow yourself that type of space when you, you don't have a body, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you give up on someone that you love so much and you just have no answers. And a lot of them do struggle with that. And 
I think that's why a lot of times, you know, you, you hear of some families accepting it, having a memorial, holding an official funeral for the person. And then you've got other families that hold on for decades. They keep their bedroom the same. They keep all their items. They're, they're convinced that their loved one is alive and they're not going to be convinced otherwise until they have an answer. And I honestly get both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I've had a, a good friend go missing and thankfully she was found later, but it hasn't, it's never been, you know, if it was my mom or someone that is just so close to you like that, I really honestly don't know how I would respond. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we wrap, can you please let the listeners know where they can find you and how they can listen to your podcast and all the good stuff? Yeah, so we're everywhere. Um, Crime de la Crime, we are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, CastBox. I mean, platforms I've never even heard of. Um, I did just reactivate my Facebook um, but my main platform is definitely Instagram. So you can follow me at creme de la crime pod on there. And I also have a Twitter, but Instagram is my main platform that I communicate with my listeners and other podcasts. So you can pretty much find the show anywhere. It is free. Um, I'm playing with setting up a Patreon and I still want everyone to know, even if I do that, all episodes will still be available for free. Because the main, the main thing is just for people to hear the story, not to get the subscribers, but it always helps, you know, of course, it's a lot of work. So absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sam, thank you so much for being with me today. Talking to you. It was just such a pleasure. I love that. I get to talk to all these other true crime content creators and pick their brains about everything. No, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Seriously. Absolutely. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hate your crime friends. If you're like me, you love personalized merch and you love shopping local. So here is one of my favorite local vendors to buy from. It's Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. My friend Mandy makes the most incredible personalized crochet goods and decor for your home. Spooky season is coming up. She has some of the coolest Halloween designs. So go follow her on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. Again, that's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And place your order with her today. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode of True Crime in Academia. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Sam Randall, host of Creme de la Crime podcast. Don't forget to follow True Crime in Academia on social media at True Crime in Academia on Instagram and TikTok 
and at TC in Academia on Twitter. And if you want to get your hands on my bonus episodes, so you literally don't miss a week of this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and choose the tier you want to donate. It helps me. It helps the ivory tower boiler room. And we would just greatly appreciate your support. Well, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay alert. And until next week, I'll see you all later. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to the fall season. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is a public humanities podcast where we interview writers, scholars, performers, and artists. Episodes air on Mondays. I am Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I'm so happy to welcome my team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, Kimberly Dallas, our editor, and an amazing fall group of interns. Thank you to this team. Please follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Easy to remember. Our Twitter is at Ivory Boiler Room. And we have a whole new design for our Patreon. It is called the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe because you're joining us and eavesdropping on our conversations that are unedited videos of all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes as if you're eavesdropping in a cafe overhearing the conversation. Well, talking about overhearing a conversation, hi, Mary. Hello, Andrew, and hello, everyone. I'm Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime in Academia, a podcast, well, a true crime podcast that is focused mainly on the crimes committed by and to those in the field of academia. Episodes air every Tuesday at noon. You can follow True Crime in Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime in Academia and on Twitter at TC in Academia because Twitter hates extra characters, as we all know. And as Andrew alluded to earlier, we have a Patreon and True Crime in Academia has exclusive bonus episodes for subscribers. As a true crime enthusiast, I don't necessarily like to pigeonhole my true crime interests. So over on the Patreon, I cover some of the more high profile cases not related to academia, such as the murder of JonBenet Ramsey and the case of Casey Anthony. So if you want access to videos like that, go over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. Thank you all for joining us. And here's to an amazing fall season. Bye, Bye everyone.